I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast which sees two movies with something in common. Go head to head to see which one does it better. On this episode, in the red corner, can I believe it? Robert Carlyle provides a persuasive argument for the restorative benefits of eating human flesh in 1999's Ravenous. Captain John Boyd is about to discover something he never imagined. Now, one man must choose between having dinner and being dinner. Ravenous. Bon appetit. While in the blue corner, an abject lesson in why you should not desecrate a cannibal's burial ground. It's 2015's Bone Tomahawk. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. You know who did this? I don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. So what's the connection between these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And as you just heard, this week we are doing Ravenous versus Bone Tomahawk. These were my choices, so I am going to be biased, but I'm going to start by saying this is the best selection of films we've <laughs> ever done on the podcast. I had so much fun watching these movies. This week, they are both excellent. Did you guys have fun? Yes. Yeah. It's the, it's Clear. definitely the most obscure films we've picked. It's it's um, Cannibals, is it? All right, do, what is the connection? No, please, please do. Is it... Two movies where cannibalism is a metaphor for the weighty subject of Manifest Destiny, which reports that the white man was preordained to expand and settle all across North America. No, Vicky? Is it one film with too much music versus a film with hardly any music, both starring David Arquette and a doctor who's a drunk? That's very close. Yeah, I'm (laughs) going to give you that. It's quite simply two cannibal westerns, both featuring the legend David Arquette. (laughs) Now... Did you know that when you picked the two films that David Arquette was in both of them? I don't need to answer that question. Because <laughs> I completely, I'd seen both these films when they came out and I'd forgotten that he was in either film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually had to Google, is that David Arquette? Yes, so did I. <laughs> so I think we established last week that this is your first watch for both of these films. Correct. What about you, Alex? What's your history with these two movies? I'd seen them both. I haven't. I could not remember Ravenous at all. I knew I liked it at the time, yep. and I knew that it was weird as fuck, but I couldn't remember it. It's Bone Tomahawk I watched um, when it came out in the cinema, and so I remembered it, but I, I'd forgotten gotten how good it is but that said i'd forgotten how good ravenous was i'm not honestly i have not made my decision i don't know this week they're both great they're both great films have you picked your winner no no me neither this is gonna be exciting okay good 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 so we do it chronologically which means you v from 1999 ravenous 
I ate up ravenous. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> a disconcertingly funny cannibal western starring Robert Carlyle as part rabid dog, part Lestat from Interview with the Vampire, <gasps> munching his way through the inhabitants of a frontier outpost in mid-1900s North America. So now I'm a vegan, and although that's totally ruined my life, it's done fucking wonders for my Instagram profile. 18, 1800s. Did I say 1900s? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yep. Oh, shit. It's all right. I'm not doing it again. We have four missing soldiers, Captain, and no bodies. We need a supportable explanation. That's so annoying. Stu Halamajanox. Ives! I'm going to kill him. He was tough, but then a good soldier ought to be. So for anyone that doesn't know the film, I would say think Cormac McCarthy on an enthusiastically grim day. Um, blank faces from you too. That's right. You'd not no. Wait <laughs> <laughs> well, to see where that would go. I've read Cormac McCarthy. Oh, it doesn't go anywhere. I was just that's yeah. The... I've watched Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> Should we um, go on? No, honestly, go. go. <laughs> it's Vicky's film. Let's say a bit. Um, and it was a production with a troubled start. So the original director is it Milcho or Milko Manchevsky, um, a Macedonian. He was sacked after some sort of extreme micromanaging by the studio execs. And he went on to say, Hollywood is full of the most miserable, unhappy people I've ever met, and I'm from the Balkans. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. Yeah. I, I found an interview uh, a friend of mine did with him back in 1999 about this. Roger Clark did this for The Independent. And Milcho said, um, it was all about who's got a bigger dick, mm. the production. Uh, the executive micromanaged everything I did. Um, every day I get notes on the rushes saying the uniforms were too dirty or there wasn't enough close-ups of David Arquette. <laughs> Then one day she just got on a plane unannounced and came over with the director of Home Alone 3 to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, he said that he would uh, never work in Hollywood again. And he hasn't. 20 years on, he yeah. hasn't. He'd, he'd done an Oscar-winning film before then. He directed videos for um, Arrested Development and Partners in Crime. What? But not to Earl Power. Oh. It was the follow-up <laughs> undercover. <laughs> Can we talk about the inspiration for the story, though? I, I know stuff about from just from reading around cannibalism, just um, for my own pleasure, um, about the Donner Party. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, because the one bit of audio I've brought this week is to do with the Donner Party. No way. Would you like to hear yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Zach Gallagher doing it? <laughs> um, no, the question is, who is doing this? At the end, I want you to tell me who Pierce is actually... Pierce <laughs> What was the Donner Party? They were a party of settlers in covered wagon times. They got snowbound one winter in the mountains. They had to resort to cannibalism in order to stay alive. You mean they ate each other, huh? They had to, in order to survive. Can I begin with... Mm. That sounds like a children's TV show about cannibalism. Like an explainer. <laughs> right. Yeah, like ABC. <laughs> it's like an it, educational video a teacher puts on go, today class, we're learning about cannibalism. Do here's some a, dogs. Here's a video. <laughs> it's the opening scene of one of the most famous movies of all time. It's the opening scene of The Shining. Is it? In the car. Is it? Mm-hmm. Danny Torrance asks Jack that question. Ooh, very good. I have an amusing um, finale to the... So as... Jack Nicholson has just explained. Mm-hmm. They were snowbound. <laughs> Friend of the show. Um, so they were snowbound and they had to eat each other. They were eventually rescued and a survivor called Virginia Reed was amused to note uh, that one of her rescuers asked her to marry him, although she was only 12 and recovering from starvation, but she turned him down. So different times, I thought, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you'd never turn him down now. You don't want to be left on the shelf in the state you're in. <laughs> wow I mean talk about picking your moment she's going to be all grateful so how did he do it <laughs> oh it's the best story he gave me a burger which I was thrilled about <laughs> oh. um, so then into the story of the film mm. well we, just, we should just say Antonia Bird ended up directing oh, of the course. movie sorry so Robert so the, the cast rejected the Home Alone 3 director whose name escapes me um, who, who went back to Hollywood and made Never Been Kissed that same year. Which is a great film so far. And made a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good film. Um, wasn't Antonio Bird Robert Carlyle's business partner as well? Yeah. They, a production company. Yeah, they'd done TV together. They did Priest together. They'd yeah. done a lot of stuff together. So he says, let's get her to do it. She comes over. She's got about a week to prep everything. And then she's just into it. Um, trying to combine many genres and many different angles on this bonkers tale. So it really sets its stall out from literally the first moment 
which is when the writing appears on screen, and it's a quote from Frederick Nietzsche, and he goes, he that fights with monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. And I paused it to write that down without realising that the following quote is, eat me. (laughs) Which is pretty much what this film is. It's profound and yet ridiculously stupid. There are some brilliant lines in it, though. Like, uh, when we meet Robert Carlyle and he's this bedraggled survivor and they, he's, he confesses to the inhabitants of this frontier outpost that he's been outside for three months. And they're like three months uh, without food. And he says, I didn't say I had no food. I said there was nothing to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good lie. Yeah. Let's go back. Let's rewind mm. very quickly. What I'm going to do is gonna, I'm going to set up exactly where we are. Guy Pearce is a soldier who has been commended for his act of valour and cunning in taking a Mexican outpost although he really didn't do anything. And the general, played by the brilliant late John Spencer, goes, you're not really a hero. Get the fuck out of here. And sends him off to this distant outpost in the middle of nowhere. And he ends up there. And it's at this outpost where everything takes place. It's one of these great one-location movies, almost. And then Robert Carlyle turns up as a stranger in a very Billy Zane in dead calm, kind of way where he turns up with his version of events and immediately go, hmm, I'm not sure about this guy. I don't really trust him because also it's a shit lie. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, I must look terrible. I haven't eaten for three months. And everyone goes, uh, you look fucking you look great. Fine. And he goes, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me backtrack and come up with a lie. He almost does that thing when people are about to tell a lie where they go, yeah, so hang on. Um... Okay, okay, okay. No, I got, got it. it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I, 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 this is why I look great. Yeah. So he sets up um, this, this sort of what we'll find out is an ambush to say that um, some members of his party are still stuck in a cave with a murderous cannibal and they need rescuing. Hmm. So Guy Pierce and the other soldiers. Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Um, who plays Reich? What's he called? Oh, he's called Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough, yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got a bunch of archetypes, haven't you, in the camp? You've got the religious guy, you've got the drunk, you've got a soldier, right, because you said, you've got the cook who's always stoned, you've got a Native American um, woman who doesn't say a word in the first half of the film, and so it kind of has fun. (laughs) Sorry, that name is ruined for me from BVS, but... Release the Snyder Cup! Go on. (laughs) Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. No, you were talking about how they go to this cave. You're about to talk about... The ambush. A great scene. So the soldiers are taken to, led to a cave by Robert Carlyle um, and they find out it's not really a cave. It's more of a human fridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robert Carlyle ambushes everyone. I think he kills everyone. Then there's some very uh, discombobulating music to accompany that scene, which is quite like a hoedown or a barn dance, which threw me a little bit. It is worth mentioning the music in Ravenous because it's... Such a weird and fantastic soundtrack by Michael Nyman and uh, Blur's Damon Albarn. And the moment where Robert Carlyle chases the priest through the woods, it feels like a country and western version of the Benny Hill music. Well, the, what I wrote down was Raising Arizona. Oh, which yeah. Which I think you could say the music Raising Arizona is country and western Benny Hill. Um but other times there's shades of deliverance. I think right from the off, you, you f- I almost feel like you can hear Damon's influence and Michael Nyman's influence <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. know both their work. And it's the it's the Damon stuff that tells you this isn't going to be a conventional movie. Right. right from the beginning. Yeah. You know there's something strange afoot. What, whatever you think this movie is, you're going to consistently be surprised by yeah. what we do. And as an audience member, you're thrown off kilter right from the word go. Mm. Again, just to backtrack slightly, Robert Carlyle's story that he tells them before he takes them to the cave is that his party got snowed in. They couldn't get out and they were starving. And he says, first of all, there were six of us in the party and we ate our oxen, which was two oxen they had. We ate the three horses. We then ate my dog. That lasted us a month. I'm like, Two oxen, three horses and a dog lasted you a month. That's a meat party. (laughs) Like you have gone to town on that amount of meat in a month. Anyway. He says he ate their belts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that (laughs) happened. In the Donner party, the children, when they were rescued, started eating their rescuer's shoelaces because that's how hungry they were. 
because they're made of leather and you can boil them, you can chew on them. And they, they were, they Donner Party were in cabins and they had ox hide roofs and eventually they ate their houses. They ate the roof of their houses, which exposed them to freezing temperatures, which is why a lot of them died. Have <laughs> you ever tried to eat leather? Do you know, I haven't, but I would. Okay. You've not tried my mum's roast dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Tilly. <laughs> Sorry, mum. Sorry about that. <laughs> Ungrateful. Well, I love your beef, really. <laughs> Is it really bad? No, my mum cooks well. Can I was you just cook trying to make a dinner? joke. Uh, uh, I don't know. Mm, you've never tried? No. <laughs> How old are you? So I probably can. <laughs> I like that your default is like, I definitely fucking could. I just haven't. Why wouldn't I be able to? I don't know, because it's it's um, a lot of different multitasking and I'm good at ti- about... I'm good at timing oh, stuff. Right, yeah. <laughs> Have you never cooked a roast? No. Ever? No. I've cooked a lot of other things. Can I another cooked question? A roast. Every time you've had a roast meal, has a woman made it for you? <laughs> I would hope so. I wouldn't expect a man to do that. <laughs> it's menial work. Come on, Vic. <laughs> In his defence, he has just watched two movies set in the 1800s where women are very subservient. Let's say they've got a backseat role, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing is that he says, Robert Carlyle, he does admit to Guy Pearce and Jeffrey Jones, everyone goes, look, I'm not proud, but we did start eating people when they died naturally. We ate people. Yeah, cook, I, cook someone's legs for dinner. That's right. Yeah, the first person who died, they cooked someone's legs for dinner. And he says, when he walked back into the cave, he's not proud, but the smell of meat cooking was amazing. Mm. I decided to look up what cooking human flesh actually smells like. Are you interested to know? I am, actually. I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you... Do you want to pretend that you're not? I'm actually quite hungry right now, so I'm a bit worried. I've also never seen that look in your eyes. <laughs> what was it? Like conflict? Yeah. But did like... You, did no, you just I, feel put... like, I feel like I'm in a cartoon and you're looking at a roast chicken. <laughs> did you just put a lighter under your calf? <laughs> what? Have a sniff. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> and a weird part of the body. Why would I take my trousers off and put a lighter under my calf? Because you're talking about legs. Oh, okay, but meat is meat. Now, <laughs> muscle tissue... Uh, smells like beef mm-hmm. in a frying pan. Body fat is like a side of fatty pork mm-hmm. on a grill. Yummy. Um, when you cook a body that you haven't drained of blood, however, it has a very iron metallic smell. Understandably. As well. Internal organs, because they're full of fluid, they smell like burnt liver. And cerebrospinal fluid... Oh, sorry! ...has a... <laughs> Musky, sweet smell. Now, like a pudding. <laughs> I, I, are people still listening to this? Yeah. Do you literally want people to switch off? Uh, decomposed bodies oh smell God. terrible because oh they're God. full of methane, and firefighters, uh, when they encounter them, call them bloaters yeah. because they're so full of gas. Now, all of those different smells the <laughs> pork on the grill, the beef in the frying pan. Apparently put together when a whole body is burning, it's a smell you never forget. <laughs> this is from people who've smelled it. This is a quote. It's sweet, steaky, putrid and nauseating. And the writer J.D. Salinger, mm. after World War II, having smelt that smell, said to his daughter, you never really get the smell of burning flesh out of your nose, no matter how long you live. Are you not fascinated by that? I just feel like it's a bit of a turn-off for listeners. Really? I think it's worse to watch a film about it, to be honest. I mean, I think it's really important that we establish that because the opening scene of Ravenous, where Guy Pearce sits down and has that steak in front of Mm. him. Yeah. Now, that, like, I understand what he's been through and having had blood of one of his comrades dripping into his mouth, he's turned off by the meat and he runs outside and vomits. But when you look at that steak that he's got, you look at everyone else's, they're quite well done. Yeah. And his is on the rare side. Mm. And it also looks like half a face because it's got a really fatty eye in the middle of it. But but is he seeing that, do you think? Because he does start seeing things Mm. as this film goes on. And I think he is suffering from PTSD of yeah. some kind. They don't put a name on it, mm. but there's obviously something has changed in him for having been through that experience. Well, the crux of this is, because I didn't really understand, because at the start when he is rewarded for capturing the outpost and he's asked how he did it, mm. and he went, something changed. Yeah, he because he, he, he's buried under a pile of bodies, but once the blood goes into his mouth, he mm-hmm. finds some strength 
to recover, mm. sort of bursts out, not really, sort of slides out of mm. this pile of bodies. And he does take the outpost. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't do nothing. And it's because of the blood dripping into his yeah. mouth. So this is the part that I forgot about this movie. I thought it was just about cannibalism, but it's also based on uh, Native American Indian folklore and the Wendigo myth, which is the idea that if you eat human flesh, it basically turns you into a superhuman. Yeah. You are cured of all ailments and you feel fucking great. Well, yes. you, you also <laughs> steal that person's strength, essence and spirit. Mm. So it's kind of the Native American version of the vampire myth. Yes. So let's do this now. To me, this movie is less a cannibal movie, more a vampire movie, especially when the big twist emerges where Robert Carlyle is taken to the cave, he kills loads of people, Guy Pearce is the only one who makes it back to camp, and then their new commanding officer is introduced, and it's freaking Robert Carlyle. And I wrote down, what a fucking twist. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> he comes back, and he looks great, he's shaved his beard off, he looks awesome, and to me, he is a vampire at that moment. You know, you called him Lestat at the mm-hmm. start of this. He is a monster who's transformed almost into human form and only Guy Pearce knows what he is. Yeah, but there's the added temptation because Guy Pearce eats Reich when he's <laughs> when he escapes from Robert Carlyle at the cave and he sort of lands lands in a big bush made of Christmas trees <laughs> and then he's with Reich who's died and he tries to resist for three days or something and then he's like, oh, fuck it, and then eats his leg. Well, it's not clear how long it is. I'd have lasted about seven minutes. <laughs> Before you ate his leg? <laughs> Why do you think he he gave in to temptation? Because he'd already tasted the blood and he knew he was in a similar state in the beginning of the film where he was buried and he had the blood and he was able to escape. He's broken his leg this time and he's buried under Christmas trees so he knows he needs super strength to recover. So and do his like revenant thing well, and walk yeah. across the snowy landscape and in get ver- home. In, 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 to put it very very succinctly and I can't believe this wasn't the tagline for the movie eat or die. Yeah. Which is what Robert Carlyle says to him uh, towards the end, eat or die. Oh, I've got a pun. Do you want to hear my pun? You know that Reich doesn't like Guy Pearce throughout the film. Mm -hmm. What's his beef? Do you get it? Yeah. Uh, What? what Maybe you've not understood it. What's his beef? Yeah. Bang! What's what's a cannibal's favourite fast food restaurant? Is this a joke? Or are you asking me? (laughs) Look at your face. Are you asking me? Oh no! Wait. Just <laughs> say, having a meltdown. Just say. Yeah. <laughs> just say. I don't know. What's a cannibal's favourite fast food? Are you asking me? Is it a, are you asking? <laughs> because you're giving me such a strange look. I don't think you know what your face does. That's the look. I don't know. What's a cannibal's favourite fast food restaurant? Five Guys. <laughs> That's funny. I've got. Uh, I've got. I'm um, several more, more of those. <laughs> I'll pepper them throughout yeah. the show. Do that. Do that. <laughs> uh, another question. When Robert Carlyle is back as Colonel Ives and we start a series of um, very expositional speeches, but sort of sermons on the benefits of being a cannibal in order to turn Guy Pearce into a willing cannibal because uh, Robert Carlyle essentially is quite lonely and would like some friends and also needs an alibi for why they're eating pioneers travelling across the Midwest. Well, yeah, because he knows Guy Pearce has already tasted it. so it's Yeah, he's not... halfway there. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk about being a great man, um, being uh, you know a sort of a subset of powerful men, and you take a man's strength, which got me thinking. Mm. Pretty obvious. Um, where are the women cannibals, and are there no women cannibals because your period would be a very conflicting time? <laughs> Silence. I knew that wouldn't land, but I thought, fuck it, I'll do it anyway. Why would you? Ah, pe- no. <laughs> I thought you meant period as in period of time. No, I mean as in your menstrual Did cycle. You? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Um... <laughs> because it's what, the same. You'd eat your own vagina. <laughs> What a strange mental image. <laughs> Haunting. Uh, no, I don't think I mean that. <laughs> oh God. Sorry. Oh dear. It's the same. It's not. I'm not you know. It's the same. I thought that's it? what I honestly. I thought that's what you meant. I mean, at the very least, it would be a distracting seven days doing nothing. You couldn't concentrate on keeping the frontier outpost clean or getting other cannibals or whatever because you'd be like, fuck's sake. You didn't just see Chris mouth to me. Seven days. <laughs> Is it really seven days? Are you sure you're doing it right? <laughs> doing it. <laughs> doing it. Like, oh, shit. You know what I've forgotten to do? I've forgotten to have my period today. <laughs> just give me a minute. I'm just going to nip to the loo and get it started. See you in a week. Um, 
Well, that could bring me on to something else I did oh want to talk God. about. Did it? <laughs> really? Out. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Uh, about, about the lack of women in the film. So I had a few readings of this film, but the one I wanted to talk about was homosexuality. Okay. And, uh, and uh, potentially cannibalism here is, is, a, is, a, is a metaphor for being gay. Um, there's certainly sexual tension between yeah. Boyd and Colquhoun slash Ives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a licking, there's a sucking of a finger. Um, and you could read this, I think, with these men having urges that are being condemned by yeah. the rest of society. And one man wants to be out and free with it and the other wants to repress and conquer that urge. Um, Robert Carlyle, I found a quote from him saying that... Um, his character doesn't just want to eat Guy Pierce; he wants to have him at the same time. And maybe that's why there's no women in it as well, if they're trying to explore that theme. I mean, we don't stop people from being gay, I don't think. I mean, not as a... Wow. The mere presence of a woman. You personally? I personally definitely don't. You've never stopped a man being gay? I don't. Well, just turn them over <laughs> to heterosexuality. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you meant physically. <laughs> no, I, I, what do you think you, you're doing? You never lie on your front. It does not go there, and you know it. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's kind of it in terms of extra stuff that happens in the film. Um, Robert Carlyle spends a while the, trying to convince Guy Pearce to give in to his uh, desires. Um, Jeffrey Jones turns back up, and it turns out he's a cannibal, and it's all been a bit of an elaborate con trick. Um and then he has an he has a very swift change of heart mm. in one scene yeah. where Guy Pierce convinces him that he's a wrong one and he needs to die. It's a weird question, which I think you guys should try and answer. So Jeffrey Jones was on the verge of death and he was unconscious and Robert Carlyle fed him human flesh while he was unconscious and brought him back to life. But he hadn't chosen to eat it, Yeah. but he owes his life to that. Yes. So at what point... Is he culpable of being a cannibal? Why do you want to know? Are you? Is there a court date that we I need to... got drunk the other night and I met someone. Uh, <laughs> they... Again, I went to the chicken shop. Fucking claws. How unlikely is that? Turns out, five guys do a very late <laughs> night menu. Special back room, VIP access. But I mean, at that point, if you're like, if I don't continue to eat human flesh, I will die. Do you eat human flesh? Well, I think that's what Guy Pearce is going through, isn't it? Because if you believe that that blood that dripped in his mouth at the start of the film was the first time he um, became a cannibal, then it wasn't his choice then. And for the rest of the film, that's his moral quandary. Mm. I just think you need to look at them both um, in that second half of the movie because Robert Carlyle looks hot. He really does. His hair looks great. His skin looks great. Guy Pearce is like, eesh. <laughs> I would not. He's and, a massive downer. And, and it's obvious do. It's obvious that, you know, Carlisle's teeth are very clean and white and his are filthy mm. as well. That's obviously a decision that they made. Yeah. I mean, honestly, towards the end, I wrote down, yeah, looking at them both, put next to each other, I'd consider it. Yeah, I mean, if it's eat or die and you're in the Donner Party, I think if I thought it wouldn't turn me into a bloodthirsty, murderous cannibal, I would, because I would just want to resume my normal life. That's not what I'm asking, though. What I'm asking is, you just get given a plate of human flesh and go, this is human flesh, you'll feel better if you eat it. And the person whose flesh it is, they wanted you to have it. Would you eat it? In order to become superhuman? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, right now I wouldn't. Because you've had lunch. If I was, a... <laughs> that's different. I've not. I had three sausages for breakfast. But if I do, you know where they came from. <laughs> oh, this isn't a fucking segue into like intensive farming practices, is it? Because I'm not interested. Industrialized agriculture is awful, and it's 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 killing the planet, Chris. Why don't cannibals eat clowns? Don't know. Wait, because they don't like the funny bone. Oh, that's, yeah. that's good. Oh, is that it? Oh, well done. Because they taste funny. Oh, okay. Your one was probably better. That is actually, better, yeah, actually. Um, but the final reading is something I mentioned at the start of this film, is, is this is this issue of Manifest Destiny. Yeah, and that is laid on, it's not to its detriment, but it is laid on quite thick in yep. the final half hour. Like, and there is no mistake in the messaging um, that she wanted. No. So, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about Americans divinely believing they're ordained to take over the whole continent and, and get rid of everyone that's there, displace yeah. everyone. And it's about exploitation and cultural imperialism. And at the end, because 
Ive's plan is to set up a community of cannibals. Yeah. yeah. And that's why he's picked this outpost. Um, as he, he says, come April, it'll all start again. Thousands of cold, hungry Americans will travel over these mountains on their way to new lives, mm. passing right through here. We won't kill indiscriminately, selectively. We don't want to break up families. And I was thinking, that's quite Trumpy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, what? Bre- the breaking up of families? Yeah, saying he wouldn't break up Mexican families, but they went ahead and did it. He just said they weren't going to do it. And that's what this guy's saying. Yeah. You know, I I just like I thought I I wrote exactly the same bit down and I've highlighted it in blue, and I was like, "What that's, a great guy!" That's nice. <laughs> I actually thought I thought that was I, nice. I, that would get me on board. If I like that, we're not going to break up families. A bit all right then, I suppose. Like sounds all right. Because I why thought... is everyone around this table so pro cannibalism? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, but there's also a lovely sting in the tail, isn't there, with the film? So he does kill Ives, but then the arriving soldiers start eating the stew that's got human flesh yeah. in. Yeah, mm. that is a lovely little ending. It is, it is, and that's the guy that Carlisle wanted to convert, General Slauson, played yeah. by John Spencer. He was like, "Oh, I think he, I think he'd be up for it." And uh, turns out he would have been. But yeah. it's too late because you're in a big bear trap, you dick. <laughs> bear, also a subset of gay culture. Oh. Yes. Yeah, bear trap makes yeah. sense. Um, all right, shall we do our bits? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. So, who is your MVC, Vicky? After Robert Carlyle, it would be Reich because he gives as much crazy back as he gets, which uh, I quite liked. Um, then I looked at his IMDb profile. What's the actor called? Neil McDonough. So you know when well someone's IMDb profile when it's been written by their agent. So it's all about him giving a lightning rod performance and he's stellar and he's the best really? thing he's oh, no. But then it ends on. But Neil's most prized accomplishment is his relationship with his wife, their five children, and with God as a devout Catholic, oh. which is nice to know. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, mine is, I don't know whether to call him Colhoun or Ives, so I'll call him Robert Carlyle. But I love the character and I love the performance. Mm. But he's brilliant in it. So yeah, he's my MVC. Best scene. Um, when Robert Carlyle walks back in as Colonel Ives. And it, like you say, it's just the actor. And the guy appears faints, which is a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but he's trying, to, he's trying to smirk, but he can't be seen to be smirking. But he is like, it's a huge smirk, mm. but without with like barely moving his mouth. Mm. He's like, ha ha, here I am. It's yeah. brilliant. Um, for me, it's when they realise the cave rescue is a trap. I love the way that the tension builds and builds in that scene. And then Carlisle becomes terrifying, but also kind of funny mm. at the same time when his gun doesn't work and he says, so annoying. It's funny, but dark. My best scene is the very end where Martha sees Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle dead, having watched all this chaos be created by cannibalism. And you just see her walking off into the distance and it's never been captured quite so poetically the idea of, fuck this. <laughs> I've had enough of this shit. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> See you guys later. I'm going home. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the state of you lot. I'm off. And what would you change if you could change anything about this film? Well, a few lady cannibals, please. Mm-hmm. Um, despite what men think, we like food too. So... Um, Martha's sitting there you know I thought she was going to come back with General Slauson and there would be a fun reveal that she's been a cannibal as well like why not I would change the fact that it upsets me that all the cast who were introduced to it at the start die so soon in it Um, I know Jeffrey Jones returns but (laughs) I like the priest guy Uh, I liked Reich and it just felt like I was then left with a half filled film in terms of cast for me, I would make Boyd a more engaged and engaging protagonist. But I've thought about that. Like, I don't know how I feel about Guy Pearce sometimes as yeah. well. I, d- I don't really enjoy watching him on screen as much as I feel like I should. So that was what I was going to say about that. But then I started thinking about the PTSD and maybe he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Maybe he's a guy that's really... Yeah, closing... but it's a bit of a void, isn't it? He's yeah. just a bit of a blank. Um, yeah. And I, it's a bit of a shame. Yes. And also, why is he cast in Prometheus as an old man when you could have just cast an old man <laughs> in it? Supposedly, wasn't there supposed to be some young scenes down the line? Oh, him? was that? Yeah, it? I think okay. that's why. All right. All right. Fair enough. So that is ravenous. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bone Tomahawk time. Chris, this was yours. Tell us, Bone Tomahawk. Okay, so I uh, was at the world premiere of this one at Fantastic Fest in Austin in 2015, and I wrote a review of it. So rather than write a new intro, I've just copied and pasted from my review. Plus, I felt like we needed to have a bit more plot this week, because I feel like these are films people might not have seen. So here's a bit of the story. Uh, Bone Tomahawk takes two very different genres and smashes them together. The film starts out western, set in a town called Bright Hope and filled with rogues on either side of the law. Predictably, a mysterious stranger shows up, raises suspicion and ruffles the feathers of the local sheriff. Conflict ensues, the stranger gets himself thrown in jail and it kind of feels like we've seen it all before. But we really haven't. As overnight, a stable boy is murdered and the stranger and local doctor are kidnapped by a tribe of inbred, cave-dwelling cannibals. What follows is a violent men-on-a-mission movie. The sheriff teaming up with his elderly deputy, a local gent and the doctor's husband to hunt down a deadly mob of troglodytes. Yes. That's pretty, uh, pretty detailed. Well, he got paid for that, so it's going to be good. Right. Also, a lot of words. As is his style. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding long and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trail or anything else goes in that direction. Don't be scared. I am a friend. You aren't. Damn you! You had no cause. If you want to question my morals... Do it later. I prefer the way they're described in the film by the Native American Indian. The professor. The professor who says they're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals who rape and eat their own mothers. At that point, I'm like... Want to meet these guys. Good villain. Good (laughs) villain. We're not in Kansas anymore. Um... (laughs) So I've, I did a bit of digging about the background of this film, uh, which is quite interesting. The man who produced it, Dallas Saulnier, um, he uh, had spent years trying to get this off the ground with um, S. Craig Zahler, the guy who wrote it and made his directorial debut with the movie. But Dallas's background is, is quite dark. In 2010, his mother was murdered. And in 2012, his father was murdered. And these horrific experiences influenced uh, the film. He said, I've had to call my little brother twice to tell him that one of our parents has been murdered. I've cleaned blood off my mother's floors and I've stared down my father's killers in courtrooms. So it's no wonder that I fight to go further with our movies in search of an authentic experience that I simply do not find in most studio fare. And uh, when it looked like this film wasn't going to get made, he'd poured so much of his heart and soul into it that in 2014, he took out a new mortgage on his house and personally guaranteed a loan he couldn't repay to get it made. Oh, never bet the house. Thank God he did, though. Well, yeah, yeah and, it, and, and this film cost $1.8 Really? Is that all? Yeah. Yeah, they shot it in 21 days. And contrary to what you read online about the success of the film, it actually made over $10 million. Good for them. So that he made his money back many times over. Why do you say contrary to what you might read online? Because on, on IMDb, Wikipedia and Box of His Mojo, they say it made about 200 grand, oh. which is incorrect. 
So I think it's just a bit of background there to show you where the violence that we do get to in this film maybe comes from. And it's a pretty dark place. So I think the key word there is authentic. This is a movie that you feel has been made by a filmmaker who had control of every single element. And what I love is the fact that he must have sent this script out and the caliber <laughs> of cast that have gone, I want to be part of this, mm. is wonderful. Let's start with Kurt Russell. Never has an actor belonged in the Western genre <laughs> more than Kurt Russell. Well, particularly in 2015 as well. So he plays Sheriff Hunt, but that same year he made The Hateful Eight. So he was able to use the same facial hair for both movies. And costumes. <laughs> <laughs> and also he's in one of the greatest <laughs> Westerns ever, Tombstone. So oh, yeah. why, Johnny Ringo? You look like someone just walked over your grave. Uh, Patrick Wilson plays... The... I realised that was Val Kilmer in Tombstone, <laughs> by the way. I know I'm not doing Kurt Russell. Uh, Although he does go, tell him I'm coming. Hell's coming with me. <laughs> are, we, are we doing Tombstone, Vic? No. Uh, no. Uh, Patrick Wilson plays the foreman, Arthur, and I feel like he exudes a, a decency and good that's like Gary Cooper or Gregory Peck. And mm. so it feels like he's perfectly suited to be in a Western as well. But it introduces all these characters at a stately place. So you've got Arthur, Patrick Wilson, Hunt, Kurt Russell. You've got the doctor's assistant slash wife, Samantha, who's played by Lily Simmons. Uh, she's the, the woman that gets kidnapped. You've got Chicory, the backup deputy, played by Richard Jenkins. So good. Mm. So good. And you've got Bruder, the local charmer slash killer, who's played by Matthew Fox, who I don't think has been better either. This is truly one of cinema's great performances mm. in general from Matthew Fox in this movie. Right from the very start, the first moment you meet Bruder, the fact that every movement he makes is so mannered and purposeful. I do think the fact that he sets off on the trail in a perfectly white suit and white hat and white shirt. It's like, well, you obviously aren't expecting to get dirty. So these men set off on a mission together and that's... That sort of happens about 20 minutes into the film and then you've got two hours of them on this mission. Yeah. Um, a good hour and a quarter of which is really them walking and talking. Mm. Lord of the Rings. Which one's the Lord of the Rings where they walk and talk for most of the movie? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like that, but because Zala's dialogue is so good, I don't think since we've started this show I've written down quite so many lines from <laughs> okay, the film. Okay, good, because it's gold, solid, fried gold. <laughs> You spend a long time with these guys, though, but it makes them feel like real people the longer they're talking for, with real relationships, having real conversations. And as you say, it's that authenticity, mm. um, that, that sparseness of, of, of the runtime and the, the, the scenery. Not, it's what did you just say? A sparseness yeah. of runtime. Cut that out. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it's two hours it's two long. It's ten minutes long. Yeah. It's fucking it, too long. Let's not have words on this. <laughs> Do you not? Think I literally that... wrote down new motto for podcast. <laughs> Let's not have words. I on clocked this. it when Kurt Russell said that. I was like, I, I know that's going to come back at me. <laughs> Did you not think? I agree with you that it's very authentic, and I think what I'm about to say, I think it has been done on purpose. But do you not think some elements of frontier life have been over sentimentalized? Oh, like what? So the house that Patrick Wilson lives in mm. looks like a very comfortable, clean, uh, well lit, well heated log cabin. And in reality, the houses that they lived in were like a daub and wattle house. There were birds, bugs, all sorts living in the walls. It was impossible to keep creatures out. It's an idealised um, vision of their life compared to when we see the troglodytes and how yeah. they're living. It's kind of to contrast with that as well. Yeah, and I think we'll get to the, the chicory speech about the flea circus because I can't even think about it without welling up because it was the most tender beautiful thing I've ever heard in my entire life <laughs> it's but so good it's so good Mrs O'Dwyer says it's so oh. no most flea circuses do use tricks but that flea circus they were real, they fleas. Were real fleas and he goes thank you thank you for clearing that up yeah it's lovely And but you're having that speech and then in two seconds um, oh shit you're going to get eaten so mm. it's like sentimentality and then smash there it's gone mm. so I think I do think it's very authentic, but I do think there are some elements of frontier life that mm. are represented in a sort of uh, halcyon way. So let's do, seeing as you brought it up, V, moments that you cried in this movie, if at all. Did anyone cry during this movie? I cried twice. Okay, Flea Circus, I cried. Yep. Um, I think that's it. That's it? One, yeah. One cry, so okay. You one cry, but a really heartfelt, like, I will not forget that moment cry. Okay. Chris? I, I didn't cry... But I was moved when Chicory at the start is laying flowers at his wife's grave 
and says, I'll see you back here. Oh, God. There is a nice moment, though, where Kurt Russell is going to die. Mm. And he says to oh, Chicory, yeah. say goodbye to my wife and I'll say hello to yours. Ooh, hang on. Well, yeah, right? Ooh. Honestly. I'm Woo. not fucking about. Just give me a second. <laughs> um, so I cried twice. Once was when um, Mrs. O'Dwyer and Mr. O'Dwyer are reunited at the end when he turns up and he's... I believed in that relationship and his desire to get back to his wife so much that when he turns up at the end and they kiss through the bars, I was like, oh, God, there I go. <laughs> and the other bit was when Matthew Fox has to kill his horse. <gasps> yeah. I was like, this is like because he's so cold yeah. in it. And he looks devastated. And the only thing that he really cares about is his horse. Yeah. And, and the look on his face yeah. when he thinks his horse has gone off with a Mexican man. Yeah. And he says she wouldn't do that. Yeah. She's so loyal. <laughs> she wouldn't let him get on her back. And he looks for the first time he's lost his composure uh, he looks completely, like, just gutted. And then Chicory goes, it looks like uh, <gasps> she resisted. And oh then you God. see his horse dying, and he goes over and has to shoot his horse in the head. Oh, and wow. he shouts at the horse. He says, I'm coming. As in, like, she knows his voice <laughs> so much that he's like, I'm going to come and help you. <laughs> okay, come on. Let's let's cheer up, everyone. Uh, what happens... What happens when... To can- Deputy Nick. Well, what he happens, gets what happens sliced when it- in two from the groin. Oh, my God. Go on, Chris. Um... Okay, so... Cheer us up. Because <laughs> I'm literally close to tears. Oh, no. Okay, so we know the men. We like the men. We love these men. Let's talk a bit about who they're going to kill. The troglodytes. What did you feel about these characters? I thought, why was the film not called Bone Whistle rather than <laughs> Bone Tomahawk? I know that he's got a bone tomahawk, but when Patrick Wilson cuts a bone whistle out of someone's neck, I was like... It's bone whistle that's because that's what they used to communicate. Yeah, with they've each got other. a terrifying, a terrifying scream, a blood curdling scream, and you are thinking throughout the film, how are they managing that? And they have a piece of bone that they've sewn into their neck, mm. uh, so that they, they, yeah, the air can escape and make that terrible I mean, noise. For a villain that is absent for ninety percent of this movie, their presence is felt throughout, and that's how yeah. effective they are as a villain. Uh, purely from like what I said, when the professor talks about them being a spoiled bloodline that rape and eat their own mothers, and the thing that you see at the start in the distance when the bushwhacker is first killed by one of them, you can't really make out. It looks inhuman. Oh, I just had a, a mem. Do you remember at the end when the when uh, Mrs. O'Dwyer is, is talking about how many people are there and there's like 12 men and two pregnant women and then at the end scene and she but she says they're crippled and then you, blind be, and crippled blind and crippled fuck and then you walk past them and they've had their they're not crippled they've had their legs amputated yep and they're lying on slabs like they've really heavily their, pregnant they've had their legs amputated and they're lying on slabs but when you say they were blind you imagine that it's a genetic thing yeah from yeah from living in a cave yeah. and... but what they've had is the males have hammered pegs into their <gasps> eyes oh <gasps> Oh my god! So are they supposed to just have the babies? They're like baby factories. Yeah. But the, you know, the professor early on is at pains to point out these aren't Native Americans. He distinguishes the troglodytes from well, his yeah, own for people. Reasons. Yeah. Um, they have sort of have they painted themselves? Do you think to look like the terrain? I think it's dust, but but yeah, like I don't think it's dust. How dusty would you have to be <laughs> to be that color? Right, you really I, think it's dust? I did until I said it, and now I don't. <laughs> so shut up. And it's about Dick. an hour and a half. How <laughs> dusty is your house? It's actually very dusty. Right, okay. So good for me. <laughs> yeah. So you're actually not that pale. You're just covered in, <laughs> in dust. I just roll around the hallway before I come out. And it's about an hour and a half before we get to uh, the carnage, which builds and builds until the scene that you were saying, Nick, where Deputy Nick finally... Uh, gets killed. Who's base? It's fine. I'll be Nick for the episode. <laughs> who's basically? I feel like a red shirt from Star Trek. Don't you think? Oh, like yeah, as soon yeah. as they introduce him, you're like he's dead. Yeah. Um. But it's quite surprising how he gets killed. Now, when um, so wait, hang on, Nick. Um. The way uh, the way Nick dies. How is that? When that sequence begins, Vicky, did you expect what was coming? I yeah. did because I've read Cormac McCarthy. So. Yeah, I did. Does that happen in Cormac McCarthy? There's, I've read enough to know that on both sides in the bloody expansion of the pioneers across the West, that there were atrocities on both sides. And definitely, obviously, people were scalped like, constantly. Oh, God, now I'm remembering. So he gets scalped and it's smashed into his mouth. So that happens to begin with. That's yeah, right. and then he is he's butchered like a pig. Like, they string him up by his ankles and they sort of hack away... 
And well, they start tomahawking his crotch. They do. I wondered whether they did it that way because they were rupturing the uh, intestines yeah. and so removing yeah. all the feces yeah, from yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, so okay. they could eat no, it. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Okay, 100%. They're butchering him so they can eat it. Right. I, I watched that scene in a packed cinema and the place went nuts. Yeah. It was really, especially as it was the first screening, so there wasn't even a clue that this was in this film. It was just a brilliant and, moment. But also because it's quick. And I don't think there's any music, so no. But you can. But he's still alive when it's happening, so yeah. you can hear him kind of the screaming, moaning. the scalping. I could handle and the screaming. And then I realized, well, no, I'm quite squeamish, so I would normally turn away. But then I realized it was too late for me to turn away because I'd already seen everything. Mm. I was a bit upset about that. It was. It, it will stay with me. So genuinely, did you feel a little bit repulsed? Yeah, I felt repulsed because it's horrendous. But I believe that violence on a similar level has happened for real throughout various wars, and I'm not. That doesn't shock me. I don't think. I don't think what they did has not been done in in real life. And I actually interviewed uh, Kurt Russell about this film and asked him what he felt about the troglodytes, and he said they're not villains. They're just out there hunting. With that one killing everybody talks about, they're just going to work. It's just like a deer came running into their camp. We don't have to go out to hunt. The food came to us. There's no revenge or anger. They don't like what happened, so they take them. That'll teach them never to come into our territory. Also, they're the goodies in his head. It's <laughs> a really, really strange answer. I mean, it's an answer that everyone gives when they're asked to talk about the villain in a movie. Yeah. Well, they're not really the villain from their perspective. Right, we get it. They're the fucking villain, though. <laughs> they fucking eat people and murder people. And also, they came to town. They came to Bright Hope. To, to get the person who desecrated their burial yeah, they ground. They took extra people to eat. Yeah. So they are also, bad. And it's not like, you know, it's like, I mean, do you not just shrug it off sometimes? Go, eh, you know. Take one for the team. And he doesn't desecrate. It's not like he wheeze on it. It's not like, <laughs> like he literally <laughs> he falls. walks through it. He falls into some rocks when he's running from them when they're killing his friend. <laughs> They've got one rule, dude. <laughs> one big rule. <laughs> one rule. <laughs> I don't know. I think they got lots of rules. Like, if that was just their rule, don't desecrate our burial grounds, but one of their other rules is ramming pegs into the female's eyes. Oh, God. Um, speaking of which, uh, what do cannibals do at a wedding? Uh, Eat the bride. <laughs> kind of. They toast the bride and groom. Oh, oh that's good. Uh, what do cannibals eat to freshen their breath? Um, chewing bum. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad. Uh, is it? What? Mentos. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. mine was better. Yeah. No, Mentos it's is my favourite one. Funny thing to say, but it doesn't make any sense. Uh, what happens when a cannibal's late for dinner? He gets the cold shoulder. Yes. Oh! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's do our bits. Who is your MVC from this? Uh, mine is uh, Chicory because of the flea circus and just the whole he's, he's got top bands throughout the whole thing so his performance is legendary when the sheriff goes when Kurt Russell goes have you still got that hip flask and he goes oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is this huge pause yeah he's a character that's got no filter and it's always good to see Richard Jenkins in a film but I do think this is his best performance mm -hmm. and he's up against some heavyweights yeah. and uh, yeah I agree he was the best thing in it oh really you both going chicory yep I am going to politely disagree. 100% Matthew Fox's brooder. But yeah, okay, so Bessie? Uh, it, although it kills me to say, it, is the Nick Butchery scene, because it just is. Yep, the bisection or the wishbone scene. The wishbone scene. <laughs> wishbone scene, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even got a penis, and I was just like, fucking hell. Fucking hell. Yeah. That must smart. I... Why is she giving us that information? <laughs> oh, could you not know? <laughs> <laughs> Alex? Um... I have a penis. Uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, it's Nick's death, 100%. If only because, on the one hand, it's a brilliant, powerful, crazy scene. And on the other hand, I knew I loved this movie. But whenever someone goes, Bone Tomahawk, I immediately visualised that death scene. Mm. Well, everyone does. It's one of those films that it's got a thing, like, like The Mist that we talked about. When someone brings it up, everyone goes, oh, that scene. So, finally, if anything, is there something you would change about this movie? Um, I would make Patrick Wilson, as his his leg is uh, going gangrenous, I would make him look more disgusting. And I thought that what was going to happen was the gangrene would sort of be in his body and he would look so vile that when he went to rescue his wife, the troglodytes wouldn't eat him because he was too infected. Oh, that's good. See, she thinks around stuff, doesn't she? Anyone who thinks she wrote scripts for a living. 
Um, for me, Craig Zala said he didn't want to make the 90-minute version of this, um, but I also don't think he needed to make the 132-minute version. <laughs> it, it, it does feel a bit long, much as I love it. So I would like it if they've met somewhere in the middle and done the 110-minute version. Okay. I really wish that, and I understand why it didn't need to happen, but when Bruder goes, leave me the dynamite, don't come back until you've heard the bang, and that never happens. Like He just dies. But I really wanted him to have that moment. I really did. I was like, I wanted him to go out with a bang. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good. Is that, that good? a pun? I don't know. I it's, good. So, yeah. it's good. It's a joke. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right, let's... For next time, I've got it. <laughs> let's not mince words. Mince. That's a pun. <laughs> uh, right then. So, time to vote. Which is the winning movie this week? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! I will say... I have made my decision, but as uh, soon as I pick the movies, let's start with you, Christopher. Well, real food for thought this week. Um, they're both films that are concerned with reflections of ourselves that we don't want to see. Um, I ravenous felt like being punched in the face for 100 minutes, but in a, <laughs> but in a good way. Um, Bone Tomahawk runs a little long, but I, I love the humour and the pathos and that kill is one for the ages. So it's a tough decision, but I so fell in love with the characters in one of the films and so cared about them when the end approached that I have to choose that movie and that movie is Bone Tomahawk. <gasps> okay. Victoria. Oh, th this is really difficult because Robert Carlyle is so good. So good. Um, and I could have watched him for a lot longer and I wanted him to get his cannibal village. I thought it would have been fun. Um, the Guy Pearce, it doesn't do enough to make it as compelling a film, I think, as Bone Tomahawk. So, mm, Bone Tomahawk. So, Bone Tomahawk has won. For the record, I love both these movies a lot. And I have never had so much fun as watching these films back to back, which is perverse. You've never had so much fun. No. <laughs> no. Bloody hell. I, honestly, I had the best week this week. It has to be, for me, Bone Tomahawk. So, Bone Tomahawk. Is the winner this week. That's so annoying. All right, then. Do you want a quick quiz? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Go on, then. All right. You know, I don't like the quiz section of the show very much. Never been a huge fan, but because you guys seem to take some weird pleasure in it. The best section of the show. Okay, great. So, uh, Victoria, oh, no. who wants to go first? It's the same question for both of Chris you, but you get, first. You get first. 10 seconds to do it. And if you don't do it in the 10 seconds, it goes to the other person <laughs> immediately. Spell troglodyte. <laughs> T-R-O-G-L-A-D-Y-T-E. Wrong. That was six seconds, but you got it wrong. Victoria, your 10 seconds start now. Is it T-R-O-G-Y-L-O-D-I-T-E-S? That's also wrong. It's back to Chris. Another go. <laughs> 10 seconds starts now. T-R-O-G-L-A-Y-T-E. No, it's wrong again. At four seconds, Victoria, your 10 seconds start now. T-R-O-G-L-O. D Y T E S. Victoria! Bollocks. I just found it written down. Bollocks. <laughs> Victoria is the winner of this week's quiz. Thank God. That is how you spell a troglodyte. Oh my God. Whose oh, choices? I, I feel amazing. Um, they're my choices for next week. So, after what we've just been through together, mm. I think a little bit of levity is required. So, from uh, 2009, Chris, you've got The Hangover. And Alex, from 2011, you've got Bridesmaids. No, can I not get the one with the men in? No, you can't. I've done that on purpose. <laughs> Obviously, I've done that on purpose. No, definitely not. And it's one of my favourite films, so don't fuck it up. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Hangover and Bridesmaids. Can I do a quick message from the corrections department? Yes. Uh, the Gen X version of Dancing With Myself. Was, oh my God, I knew you'd do this! Was recorded in October 1980, but Joe Dante wanted to use the Billy Idol remix from 1981, which reached number 27 in the US Billboard's Hot Dance Play Chart. Uh, so that, you were wrong and I was right, Alex. Uh, and that came in from uh, a Twitter user called Tilly Tweets. <laughs> Do you know what? We need to block that guy. The weird thing is, this is from last week's episode. If you haven't listened, Chris mentioned that uh, Dancing With Myself was by Billy Idol. And I said it was from Generation X before uh, Billy Idol went solo. He did re-record it. I looked this up because I was like, <laughs> I need to know that I was right. Um, and you didn't think to message me to apologise? No, absolutely <laughs> not. When I realised I was wrong, I was like, hey, I'm keeping it in because there's only one person who will fact check this. <laughs> He's the person who I owe an apology to. I'm so proud of myself. 
So that is it. Next week, we are doing Hangover and Bridesmaids. So Bridesmaids is available on Netflix and The Hangover is on Amazon. Do your homework. We will be back in a week rectifying the morbidity of this show with a couple of comedies. If you haven't already rated and reviewed us, we'd love it if you did. Thank you very much. And do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Back in a week. This was a Stakhanov production. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.